0: This is the My Dark Path Podcast. Haunted cemeteries. Everyone knows of at least one haunted cemetery. Entire books have been written about them. Bachelor's Grove in Chicago, nearby Resurrection Cemetery, the home of Resurrection Mary, Hollywood Forever Cemetery in Los Angeles, the Howard Street Cemetery in Salem, allegedly haunted by the ghost of poor Giles Corey, who was pressed to death during the Salem witch trials, and El Campo Santo Cemetery in San Diego, one of the oldest cemeteries in California, haunted by a number of spirits. All of these are memorial sites in which the dead aren't quite quiet yet or gone. Which is odd when you think about it, since ghosts are said to haunt where they died or where they lived, It seems unlikely that a cemetery would be haunted as most people neither die in nor live in one but only have their mortal remains buried there yet it would pay to remember that every cemetery has countless stories within their walls lifetimes not just bodies contained within marked by stones that give only a few details about the people buried under them a name the years they were born and died Perhaps a brief sentiment such as beloved husband, loving mother, or rest in peace. But lurking within the stories of the ghosts and spirits that allegedly lie in wait within burial grounds are actually the stories of the human beings who lived those lives and then passed on. In some ways, a ghost story is a continuation of one's life story. And today, I'm going to talk about two of those lives for whom death was not the end but whose stories continued after their passing on. They have become legends, but the legends do not represent the actual stories of their lives. Instead, we'll focus on two places that exist as abodes for the dead, in which the dead aren't quite, well, dead dead. Hi, I'm M.F. Thomas, and welcome to the My Dark Path podcast. In every episode, we explore the fringes of history, science, and the paranormal. And so if you geek out over these subjects, you're among friends here at My Dark Path. Check us out on YouTube, on Instagram, sign up for our newsletter at MyDarkPath.com, or just send me an email at explore at MyDarkPath.com. Also, I want to thank our many Patreon supporters. I'm so grateful for their support. You can check out our Patreon where subscribers have access to exclusive full episodes starting with our special mini-series, A My Dark Path Tour of the History, Science, and Paranormal in Cold War Moscow that we're calling The Secrets of the Soviets. If you're interested, head on over to our website and think about becoming one of our many Patreon supporters. And finally, thanks for listening and choosing to walk the dark paths of the world with me, For a happy Halloween, let's spend some time in Connecticut and California in honor of Midnight Mary and Crazy Sarah. Part One Before that, however, our dark path leads through a number of haunted cemeteries in Connecticut. Connecticut is the third smallest state, but the fourth most densely populated, and has an outsized number of supposedly haunted cemeteries. Perhaps it is because there has been a human presence in the river valleys of the area for over 10,000 years. The state is named after the Mohegan Pequot word meaning land along the long tidal river. The first Europeans arrived in 1614 with the first English settlers in 1633, inhabiting Windsor and Wethersfield, and a mass migration of Puritans from Massachusetts in 1636. For almost four centuries, Europeans and then Americans have been dying and being buried in Connecticut soil. And as of this podcast, there are 198 cemeteries currently in operation in the Constitution State, and hundreds of older cemeteries that are no longer accepting new tenants and it's not unusual to walk in the Connecticut woods and stumble across a small colonial or ancient family graveyard. Allegedly haunted cemeteries include the cemetery at the Connecticut Valley Hospital, Middleton, where tombstones have no names, only the patient ID number of the person buried below. Mountain Grove Cemetery in Bridgeport, founded in 1849 and best known as the final resting place of P.T. Barnum, is also known for the spirits of Native Americans who supposedly lived in a village that was once on the same spot and the ghost of a young boy who can be heard crying out for his mother. Pine Grove Cemetery in Ansonia also has a variety of phantoms reported on its grounds. People have heard the sounds of children playing when no one else is around or moans or smelled the overpowering aroma of roses. Three dark figures guarding the gates of the cemetery have been reported. In the little town of Seymour lies Great Hill Cemetery, better known to the local teenagers as Hookman's Cemetery. Now virtually everyone knows the urban legend of the Hookman. A couple is making out at the local lover's lane when the radio announces a maniac with a hook replacing one of his hands has escaped from the local asylum. The girl begs the boy to drive her home, and he finally relents. And upon arrival, the boy gets out to open her door and faints dead away. Hanging from the car door handle is a hook. Now, Hookman's Cemetery, however, offers a variation on this story. Supposedly, depending on who's telling the tale, a family named Hookman were either slaughtered in the cemetery one night, or were slaughtered in their home and then interred at the Great Hill Cemetery. But regardless of where they died, they now haunt the Great Hill Cemetery. Great Hill was first established in the 18th century, and many of the town's founders are buried there. And like all small towns, Seymour loves its legends and their variations. Another version of the story tells that the son of the Hookman family was the murderer. Another version states Hookman was the name of the caretaker who lived in the house behind the cemetery and who was unjustly accused of crimes, and seeing no way out, hanged himself in the cemetery. Yet another version tells of a cemetery caretaker with a hook for a hand, who hanged a young boy in the cemetery. Now the town historian and current caretaker deny any and all of these stories, as there's no evidence anyone was murdered in the cemetery, that there was ever a caretaker or family named Hookman, or that a man with a hook worked at Great Hill. Still, like the urban legend of the Hook, these stories get passed around between teenagers both to encourage them to test their bravery by going into the cemetery at night and paradoxically to avoid the cemetery at night due to stranger danger. Guntown Cemetery, established in 1790 in the Millville section of Nagatuk, is a very old cemetery which makes it interesting that it does not have any local legends or other stories of violent crimes lost loves, the death of young children, or other drivers of cemetery ghosts. Yet high amounts of paranormal activity have been reported taking place within its fences. People have recounted hearing music in the cemetery when none was playing and disembodied children's laughter, which for my money is always creepy. Others have seen things, a man carrying a lantern and leading a horse at night, or a little boy playing near the back wall of the cemetery or a large black dog running through the burial ground, all of whom are reported to quickly vanish when people approach. Stepney Cemetery in Monroe is supposedly haunted by a lady in white. She and a few other apparitions, not to mention countless orbs, have been seen there. The cemetery has been investigated a few times by Ed and Lorraine Warren, both of whom are also now interred there. Another woman in white can be found at the Milford Cemetery in Milford, while a green lady haunts the Seventh-Day Baptist Cemetery in Burlington. Her name is Elizabeth, and she drowned in a nearby swamp. She's said to take the form of a young woman surrounded by a green mist that drifts down the road leading to the cemetery, and then stops to hover over her grave, which is the only unvandalized one in the entire graveyard. Now, by far the most famous Connecticut Cemetery is the Union Cemetery in Easton, made famous by Ed and Lorraine Warren, whom I talked about way back in Season 2, Episode 33, A Date with the Warrens. Union Cemetery, like Stepney Cemetery, is also haunted by a Lady in White. Union Cemetery's Lady in White is described as a woman with long dark hair wearing a nightgown and a matching bonnet. So many stories are told of her, No one is sure of her actual life story, but there are a number of popular theories. One says she is the ghost of a woman murdered in the 1940s. Another says she's actually the mother of a woman murdered in the 1940s who's now looking for her lost daughter. Still another claims that she travels Union and other nearby cemeteries looking for her infant son who died just after birth. She has been seen dozens of times by witnesses, both reliable and unreliable. One motorist even claims to have accidentally hit the white lady who left a dent in his car. There's no record whether or not his insurance company accepted that claim. Ed and Lorraine Warren also claimed to have seen the white lady. Indeed, Union Cemetery was the major source for investigations for the Warrens, So much so, they even wrote a book called Graveyard in 1992, telling the story of Union Cemetery and their research there. Lorraine claimed that Union Cemetery is such a haunted and demon-infested space that it, quote, has long exerted a dark influence on the lives of many people living in a six-mile radius of it, end quote. The Warrens collected over two dozen stories of tragedies that took place in and around Union Cemetery. Two young girls killed in a car crash in front of the cemetery gates, a man who committed suicide using dynamite inside the cemetery. A woman tried to stab her husband, an 11-year-old boy playing in the cemetery, even allegedly found himself possessed by a demon. According to the Warrens, Union Cemetery is not only haunted, It is a supernatural version of a nuclear plant-gone meltdown, poisoning the area around it and destroying lives. In addition to the Lady in White, another entity found in Union Cemetery is known as Red Eyes. Witnesses claim that when the cemetery grows dark at dusk, you can see a pair of glowing red eyes glaring at you out of bushes in the cemetery. And if you run for the gates, you will hear footsteps chasing after you pursuing you until you exit the cemetery locals believe that red eyes is the spirit of a man named early kellogg a man set on fire in the street in 1935 and buried in union cemetery It is because of the lady in white red eyes and the warrens that union cemetery has been featured in numerous television programs and ghost hunting shows and is known world over While Union might be the most famous haunted cemetery in the Nutmeg State, the most famous grave belongs to Mary E. Hart, now better known as Midnight Mary, an unfortunate young woman buried alive when she fainted in a swoon, and now supposedly haunts another cemetery in New Haven. Part 2 According to its website, Evergreen Cemetery was founded by New Haven's most prominent citizens in 1848. It is an 85-acre park in the West River neighborhood. It's also the resting place of many members of the Winchester family, including Sarah Winchester, about whom we'll speak more later. It's also the final residence of a number of significant individuals. Civil War General Edwin S. Greeley, Leo Tolstoy's son Count Ilya Tolstoy, and social anthropologist and Yale professor Bronislaw Malinowski, whose writings were profoundly influential on the development of 20th century anthropology. And yet, arguably one of the most famous residents is Mary E. Hart, better known as Midnight Mary. According to local legend, 48-year-old Mary had some sort of attack and fell into a swoon, just dropped straight to the floor without warning on October 15, 1872, and did not recover. Her husband assumed she was dead and had her buried immediately. The night of the funeral, her sister, or aunt, depending on which version you may hear, woke up at midnight from a nightmare she had about her sister screaming in the grave. She begged to have her sister exhumed. Now, it took a while to convince the authorities, but her grave was eventually opened, and what they found inside was horrific. Mary's fingers were bloody, her fingernails were ripped off, and she had a petrified expression on her face. It seemed clear she had been buried alive, woke up in the casket, and desperately tried to claw her way out as she slowly suffocated. Local historians theorized she'd had a stroke and appeared lifeless, but was slowly recovering and when enough time had passed, she regained consciousness but was already six feet under. A most terrifying prospect. Now on the stone that marks her grave are written the words, at high noon, just from and about to renew her daily work in her full strength of body and mind, Mary E. Hart, having fallen prostrate, remained unconscious until she died at midnight, October 15th, 1872, born December 16, 1824. Below that is a phrase from the biblical book of Job, The people shall be troubled at midnight and pass away. The link between Mary's untimely demise and the epitaph seems clear, but an urban legend has grown that the words are a curse and a warning that Mary means to punish people for burying her alive. She did not punish her husband, nor the doctor or the undertaker, however, who would seem to bear the lion's share of responsibility for her premature burial. Instead, the legend goes on that anyone in Evergreen Cemetery after midnight, or anyone who desecrates her grave in any manner, will quickly die. Local college students, and there are a lot of colleges in New Haven and the surrounding area, often dare each other to go into the cemetery at midnight, Legends circulate the campuses about students who tried to do so being found dead on Midnight Mary's grave with a look of abject horror on their faces. Other stories tell of students found dead on the fence as if trying to escape something chasing them through the cemetery. Three sailors were reported to have been impaled on the iron spikes of the fence surrounding the cemetery after visiting Mary's grave at midnight while on leave. These tales are told and retold, especially by each generation of teenagers and college students that find themselves on the streets of New Haven. And if these sound like urban legends, well, it is because they truly are. Legends, that is. One account claims Mary was actually a witch and the inscription on her tombstone a warning against disturbing her grave. And just for the record, Mary was not a witch. Another story is told of a horse and wagon passing by the cemetery gate just as the clock in a local church tower struck 12. The horse, wagon, and driver allegedly sank from view, as if slipping into quicksand and then disappeared forever and never to be seen again. There's even a version of a young hitchhiking ghost story told of Midnight Mary. Supposedly a young man, perhaps a Yale student, picked up a young woman late at night walking along Davenport Avenue and dropped her off at her request at the house that sits across from Mary's grave on Winthrop Street. The next day, he returned to the house to check on the young woman who had looked pale and not well, only to be told that there was no one named Mary at the house and instead he should look across the street in Evergreen Cemetery for her. According to a tale told in the New Haven Register, the local paper, in 1999, on a cold, dark winter night, the general manager of Evergreen Cemetery received notice that the security alarm was going off at the graveyard, but the security company had no additional details. He got in his car and drove over, noting it was dark as hell, and there did not seem to be any intruders or police or anyone on site, really. He turned off the alarm, got back in his car, and when he attempted to exit the cemetery, his car would not move. The clock read 11.59 p.m. Finally, the force that was preventing him from leaving released him. And when he came back to work the next morning, the system showed no record of any alarm having gone off. The man later told the newspaper he thought it was Midnight Mary. It is indeed a grim and horrific thing to think that the malevolent spirit of Midnight Mary has cut so many young lives short and can hold cars and set off alarms. She would seem to be a dangerous presence. But the problem is, there is no actual historical evidence for most of the story. Mary E. Hart was a real person who clearly dropped into unconsciousness and died at midnight on October 15, 1872. But there is no record of her being exhumed revealing evidence of having been prematurely buried. She gets her nickname from the inscription from the book of Job on the tombstone, but Midnight Mary is far more urban legend than actual phantom. Now the fun part of urban legends is that they are fun to believe, and when given the option between myth and reality, the myth is often so much more interesting and magical. The night the general manager's car would not move, there was snow and freezing rain falling. And residents of New England will tell you if you move a parked car onto a patch of road that it has a little ice, your wheels of course will spin and it will feel like something's holding on to the car, but it's merely the vehicle trying and then failing to get traction on that slippery surface. That's a good, reasonable scientific explanation for what happened, but that is not the story told on the lantern tours around the cemetery. An icy road is not nearly as romantic, spooky, or fun as a ghost trying to prevent someone from leaving the cemetery before midnight. And the legend of Midnight Mary is so much more spooky and fun than the reality of poor, dead Mary Hart. Part 3 Connecticut is historically known for its armaments industry. Colt, Smith & Wesson, Sturm & Ruger, Winchester & Remington are all firearms manufacturers developed in the state. And in 2021, there were 33 active firearm manufacturers located there. Now these manufacturers are also not immune to ghostly presences. The abandoned Remington Arms Factory in Bridgeport was one of America's largest munitions factories in the early 20th century. But a factory explosion in 1942 killed several workers and ever since, shadowy figures have been seen walking the floors of the derelict building. But the weapon most associated with ghosts, however, is the Winchester Repeating Rifle, and all of that reputation is due to a single woman. Sarah Lockwood Pardee was born in New Haven, Connecticut in 1839 the daughter of Leonard Party, a craftsman and woodworker who was successful enough to pay for a lovely home and tutors for his daughter. Sarah was known to her friends and family by the nickname Sally. On September 30th, 1862, when she was 23, she married William Wirt Winchester in New Haven. Winchester was the only son of Oliver Winchester, who had patented a men's shirt design and was a successful men's clothing manufacturer until he bought the Volcanic Repeating Arms Company in 1855 and renamed it first the New Haven Arms Company and then later the Winchester Repeating Arms Company. Oliver was a larger-than-life figure, actively involved in politics and even served as Lieutenant Governor of Connecticut after the Civil War. Sally, or Sarah as we know her, had married into a very wealthy, powerful extended family She was happy and in love, but her happiness was not to last as tragedy after tragedy struck the Winchester family. Annie Party Winchester, Sarah and William's only child, was born on June 15, 1866, and died a little over a month later on July 25, 1866, of marasmus, a form of severe nutrition deficiency in babies which does not allow them to digest food sarah went into deep mourning over the loss of her daughter she and william never had any other children family patriarch oliver winchester died on december 10, 1880 leaving the munitions firm to william and a year later in 1881 sarah lost both her mother and her beloved william the latter to tuberculosis the legend goes that sarah was so grief-stricken that she consulted a medium Several sources name Adam Coons as the medium with whom she consulted, but this is far from a verified fact, and a search of records from the period show no such person in New Haven at the time. Allegedly, the medium told Sarah that she was cursed by the terrible weapon, as the alleged medium put it, guaranteeing that those she loved would die young, that as long as she was connected to all that blood money from the sale of Winchester rifles, she would never know peace and that she must appease the spirits by leaving New Haven, moving west to California, and finding a place that she would recognize when she saw it, and there build a home for herself and the spirits of all of those killed by Winchester rifles. In 1884, the widowed Sarah did move to San Jose, California, and bought a farmhouse called La Landa Villa and began renovating it. By the time of her death in 1922, at the age of 83, the original eight-room house had been transformed into a 160-plus room Victorian mansion, with cutting-edge modern amenities such as indoor plumbing, hot and cold running water, gas lamps, and many others. Supposedly, the sounds of building never stopped, as Sarah continually directed the building and rebuilding of the house, based on advice given to her by the spirits in late-night seances that she carried out in a space designated the seance room at the heart of the house. In her book, Haunted Houses of California, Antoinette May calls Sarah Winchester surely the most enigmatic woman in the history of the West and the house she built a Gothic Victorian living monument to the dead. Now, according to the Winchester Mystery House's own website, the house contains 24,000 square feet, 10,000 windows, 2,000 doors, 52 skylights, 47 stairways, and 47 fireplaces, 17 chimneys, 13 bathrooms, and 6 kitchens, and it was built at a price tag of $5 million in 1923, or $71 million today. And stories quickly spread throughout the Santa Clara Valley of crazy Sarah Winchester and her haunted mystery house. Strange occurrences took place there, and all the neighbors and workmen had stories about disembodied voices, strange noises and music, and fleeting shadows seen in the windows and lawns of Sarah's mansion. Supposedly, she was obsessed with the number 13. Her will was 13 pages with 13 signatures. Stairways had 13 steps, a stained glass window had 13 panels, 13 holes in the drain in the kitchen sink, 13 lights on all the chandeliers, rooms with 13 windows, 13 cupolas in the greenhouse. And if you tour the house, which is now open to the public, the number 13 is everywhere. Clearly, she was obsessed with the occult and did not suffer from triskaidekaphobia, phobia or the fear of the number 13. Supposedly, a bell in the clock tower of the house was rung every night by a bell ringer paid solely for that job, and only at midnight, and then again at two in the morning. The story is told that these were the hours that Sarah's spectral guests arrived and departed in the seance room. They would give Sarah instructions on what to build next. The Winchester Mystery House is built today as the only structure in the world designed by ghosts for ghosts. Sarah Winchester died on September 5, 1922, in her bed in the mystery house. When word got out that she had died, the workmen and carpenters put down their tools, walked away, and the house was left in an incomplete state. Or so the legend goes. Her body was transported back to Connecticut, and the house went on to become a tourist attraction where people still photograph orbs, encounter cold spots, and hear disembodied voices. Harry Houdini visited the house in 1924 and participated in a seance in an attempt to communicate with the spirit of Sarah, presumed to still inhabit the house she'd spent the last three decades of her life building for herself and the spirits of many victims of the terrible weapon that was the Winchester rifle. Now this is a great story and the Winchester mystery house fully embraces it, with tour guides giving all the details of crazy Sarah's house The Winchester Mystery House website asks, but does not answer the questions. Was she instructed to build this home by a psychic? Was she haunted by the ghosts of those felled by the gun that won the West? Did construction truly never stop? What motivated a well-educated socialite to cut herself off from the rest of the world and focus almost solely on building the world's most beautiful yet bizarre mansion? Now, no actual record seems to indicate the answer to the first three questions is no, and the fourth question's answer is not nearly as fun as the legend, but actually makes more sense. As historian Mary Jo Ignofo's wonderful biography of Sarah Winchester, Captive of the Labyrinth, indicates, most of the Winchester Mansion story is a beautiful legend, but with very little bearing in historical reality. Ignafo wrote, quote, "...newspapers pinned the burden of guilt for Winchester-induced deaths on the widow, but there is no evidence that Sarah herself felt guilty about the repeating rifle or about earning money from it." End quote. Indeed, Sarah was a very wealthy widow who moved from New England to California, at least in part because she'd visited California before and found it agreed with her that there were numerous business opportunities for her there and friends and family, Not to mention, it allowed her to leave the site of her own tragedies. New Haven held too many painful memories. So much of what happened with the Winchester Mansion can also be explained by the 1906 San Francisco earthquake. Parts of the mansion collapsed and had to be demolished and repaired, replaced, or in many cases not replaced at all, which explains why doors open out on the second floor to empty air, balconies that once were there fell off in the earthquake. And as building codes changed and the cost of construction increased in the wake of the earthquake, it made sense for Sarah to change the house in the manner that she did. Now, she had other residents as well and was not quite the recluse that the legend makes her out to be. Her grand-niece, Hazel Beecher, spent almost all of 1915 visiting her eccentric, famous great-aunt Sarah, and reported there was no army of builders constantly working on the house. In fact, there was no construction going on at all. Sarah bought a house and expanded it to meet her needs throughout the years. And as the daughter of a craftsman and an architectural aficionado, directing those construction projects gave her great personal satisfaction. She was, in short, a strong, sensible woman who devoted much of her wealth to charity. She built a hospital back in New Haven with Winchester money, as well as sponsored local projects in california after she died her house was purchased by an amusement park owner and has been run by individuals who transformed a farmhouse sarah still called lalanda villa into the winchester mystery house and while the mysteries are fun there are actual few mysteries about sarah when you actually study her life and as mary jane ignofo notes the winchester mystery house subsists on ghost tourism and tells a legend of an irrational, haunted, ghost-obsessed woman building a crazy, gothic haunted house for ghosts. But as with Midnight Mary, the reality of Sally Winchester is a much more prosaic, much less scary, and dare I say, much less fun than the legend. But having said that, don't let it stop you from visiting the house. It's a lot of fun and a very interesting visit. You quickly see how people could get lost in the house. And here at My Dark Path, we recommend a visit. But remember Sarah Sally Winchester as she actually was, not the legend of crazy eccentric ghost lady. It's less magical, but it is also no less than she deserves. Part 4 It is not a coincidence that Midnight Mary Hart and crazy Sarah Winchester lie within a short distance of each other in Evergreen Cemetery in New Haven. Both are daughters of New Haven, buried in the city that raised them. It is interesting, however, to think that these two legendary women now share a final resting place. Sarah's grave is a bit difficult to find, but hard to miss when you do come across it. Slightly at a distance from nearby graves sits an eight-foot-tall massive rock monument with a cross covered in flowers and vines, carved in bas-relief on its side and the word Winchester on the crosspiece, and a plaque carved into the listing the three people buried in the plot, William Wirt Winchester, Annie Party Winchester, and Sarah Lockwood Pardee Winchester. In front of the large monument sit three smaller stones, Two, matching the aesthetic of the larger piece, are similarly carved stones, displaying just initials, WWW, marking the resting place of William Wirt Winchester and SLP, marking Sarah's grave. To their left is a white marble cross marking the grave of their child Annie. Nothing about the family tomb gives any indication of the Winchester Repeating Arms Company, the Winchester Mystery House, or Ghosts. Instead, it blends with all the other tombstones of the well-to-do in this section of the cemetery. Only if one looks off to the side of the plot does one see a bench inscribed as a gift in memory of Sarah Winchester from the caretakers and employees of the Winchester Mystery House. Sarah Winchester's grave brings tourists to Evergreen Cemetery, just as Midnight Marys brings thrill-seekers. Just as J.W. Ocker wrote in his book New England Grimpendium, Sarah Winchester showed the world how to make oneself a tourist attraction on both coasts. Mary Hart never wanted to be a tourist attraction, at least as much as we know, but she became larger than life in death and a legend. These two women now, through no fault of their own, are associated with death and places of death. And the reality is, however, that they were simple human beings who loved, lost, and then died we tell their stories well more accurately their legends because they are different and odd and exciting and make the world a more magical place which is fitting and proper around halloween time but maybe for the rest of the year we can let mary and sarah rest in peace and not turn them into something that they were not so the next time you walk past a cemetery think about all the stories it contains and what lives on within the walls despite no longer living i hope today was a delightful trick or treat as our collective dark path moves closer toward halloween and if you do plan to visit any of the cemeteries i talked about today please pay attention to the posted signs be respectful and visit only when allowed most cemeteries have strict closing times and those who try to visit cemeteries at night often find themselves guests of the local police facing charges of trespassing That might be the least of your problems, however, if Midnight Mary's rest is disturbed by your visit. So please, show respect and follow the rules, enjoy the beautiful scenery, and allow a chill down your spine for the legends, which, after all, are just that. Thank you for listening to My Dark Path. I'm M.F. Thomas, the creator and host, and I produce this show with our sound engineer and creative director, Don Purdy. This story was prepared for us by Kevin Wetmore. Big thanks to them and the entire My Dark Path team. Please take a moment to give My Dark Path a rating and a review wherever you're listening. This really helps the show, and I love to hear from you. Again, thanks for walking the dark paths of history, science, and the paranormal with me. Until next time, good night.